Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Clean Break, the podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Darren Javag, the host of the show, and with me again, as always, Tina Murray, my trusted, trusted sidekick and partner in this whole thing that we're doing. Right? <laughs> this, this, yes. This, thank you. I was going to say this ride. But this, it is yeah, a ride. It it's is a better a, ride. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, well, uh, thank you, Darren. And uh, I am always excited to be here to co-host this Clean Break, the podcast. And today our guest is Megan Cumming. She is a registered psychotherapist and the chief executive officer of the Kempfel Stress Relief Center. So welcome to the show today, Megan. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah. So you are an amazing person. I I love being able to reach out to you for questions about mental health and um, you're just a valuable resource to have in our back pocket. So thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today. We are talking about divorce separation and there are lots of things that go on in divorces and separations, but there's many people that struggle emotionally. So Talk to us a little bit today about some of the experiences that you've had with clients or what you might tell a client that's going through this type of situation. Well, mostly I would start with by acknowledging that this is a really big transition um, and that change is allowed to be scary and overwhelming and difficult. So I think I mostly just start with validating that whatever the reasons behind the separation, it's allowed to be hard. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, so it kind of be step one. Yeah. And you deal with, you deal with a lot of women. Is that mainly your? Yeah. Yeah. I mostly work with women um, for whatever reason, they just want to come hang out with me. So I mostly draw in women. Um, I do work with folks of all genders, but yeah, predominantly women. Yeah. So do you deal with a lot of women that might have gone through a toxic or abusive relationship? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a lot of women who have survived domestic violence, sexual assaults, and other intimate partner violence. Wow. Wow. And, and so are the, there's obviously different levels of stress is stress, you know, divorce is divorce. Some people may come in with a far better perspective and just need to have maybe a little change in perspective. And then others may have a completely different view coming in and and the varying levels of need, I guess, in in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a heavy topic, right? That we're talking about today, as far as just your mental health and Megan, is there some things that you talk to your clients about, about how to identify, you know, if they're struck when they're struggling, you know, is there things that you maybe coach them on to say some things are, normal because we were talking about that before we went live and what is normal what is not normal Mm. right in in your mental health I think that's a good question Darren and I I will admit I actually don't like the word normal (laughs) (laughs) um because I think it uh gives this idea that there's a way things are supposed to be but um things that often happen for folks um in terms of what some people might label as normal and not normal in terms of mental health. I think it's important to remember that we have often had certain things normalized for us that people outside of maybe our family of origin maybe wouldn't think was okay, but because we've grown up in a particular environment, Mm. we think it's normal. 
Um, and we've normalized a lot of aspects of domestic violence and um, toxic relationships. People often learn them in some formative relationships from caregivers or other people in their lives. So sometimes it's actually pointing out to them the things that are not normal. Like, hey, your partner actually shouldn't speak to you that way. Or hey, the fact that he's called you five times while we're in our session is, is actually a lot. And just starting to invite them to notice the things that um, if that exists within their relationship that may or may not be healthy and maybe kind of what I call red flags. Mm -hmm. I have red and green flags in relationships that I talk about. And with folks in um, abusive relationships, obviously there's a, there's a lot more red than green. And folks are in different stages of being able to hear that sometimes. So that's honestly one of the hardest parts of my work is sitting with somebody who's not in a place to hear about the red flags yet. Mm. and kind of just keeping some information in my back pocket and waiting to see when they might be ready to hear it. Because if I say something too early, they probably won't come back to see me right. because I've pointed something out that they're not ready to see yet. Right. And I think we're all like that in our lives. If we're not ready to hear it, we're not ready to hear it. But yeah. what you're trying to do when you have people coming into your office or over a Zoom call, because I'm assuming a lot of them are done that way now. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, you're trying to make, not make them, but trying to allow them to see it in, for themselves rather than you tell yeah. them. Exactly. It is not helpful for me to just tell them. I have to make space for them to notice it on their own and, and come to a place where they can begin to accept that, hey, there's a lot that's not okay about this. Right. And then um, we can move on to things like safety planning and how to support them in getting out. Because often you need a pretty robust safety plan to leave some of these more abusive situations, wow. especially if there's kids involved. Right. right. That must be incredibly, I, I don't, I, I, I'm looking for another word, but scary almost. Mm. Like it almost feels scary, like to like for someone to take that on that, you know, when they finally come to the decision that they want to get out of something. Mm -hmm. Because I think all of us are, are, we, we accept things, you know, right. you go through your daily grind and, and I wouldn't, Megan, in a relationship like that, would you say that most of the time people acclimatize themselves to the relationship? Like it's something that creeps up. It's not like, I, yeah. I'm sure somebody doesn't go on a first date yeah. and then they get five text messages from their not even boyfriend or some right. girlfriend, uh, you know, within a couple of days, you know? Well, the, the I was just going to say, but if you are seeking or needing that attention, that mm. might be something you like. Right. That's right. a good point. So we're having At this, the beginning. Yeah. You, At the beginning. Right. Yeah. And then we're having this side conversation and Megan's like, okay, yes. Am I providing therapy for these two? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't you worry. I, uh, I'd be but, charging you guys for your time. If <laughs> but you know you're right like I think little things creep up things that you maybe find endearing and I think that's with every relationship but when it's a toxic relationship maybe in the beginning the fact that that person doted on you and wanted to know we're so concerned because maybe the last partner or, or or you know boyfriend girlfriend didn't care right yeah Yep. So that's actually called love bombing, Tina. And it's a great strategy of emotional abuse, particularly with narcissists. Um, so it's this idea that they'll give you all the love, give you all the love, and then they take it away. Oh, and they're just left wondering, that. what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Am I not enough? So they try extra hard to get that first bit of attention back again. And that kind of starts the cycle. 
Um, and then also what I was saying earlier about a lot of things have been normalized for them. Um, so there's this idea of kind of like the frog in boiling water kind of thing, where the way that you boil a frog is you increase the temperature slowly over time. It's the same thing. Often these behaviors will escalate. There'll be the love bombing at the beginning. And um, when they kind of take that away, they'll be withdrawn. Um, they'll do a little makeup period. Like it's, it's a quite the cycle that mm. they go through and it, it intensifies each time. So tensions kind of build, then there's an incident of some sort to whatever degree it might be. There's some kind of reconciliation, then we have a calm or like a honeymoon phase where we get that love bombing again, and then it starts again. And they, these cycles can be over days, these cycles can be over months or years, but the frequency and intensity will increase. Okay. Wow, that was awesome. Like, uh, I, I don't think like that you explained it very simply, but you can almost identify sometimes in people's behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, that if you know people that are in a relationship like that and you're like, you explained it, yeah. like you put it in the words, what I hear mm-hmm. and I can't identify because I'm not trained in this kind of stuff, but it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So how, how do you help someone to see that they're in this cycle of abuse really? Well, it'll often start very, on my, on my end, I call it very innocently. Like, I'll just kind of ask questions. Like, oh, I'm curious about this. Are you noticing this? Like, I'll keep it very open-ended just to kind of test the waters. And if they totally should have done, they're like, no, that's just how they are. Like, this is how things are. And I'm like, okay, I'll try that one again later. Um, but eventually, I'll start to point out some pieces that I would call red flags. So some of those red flags are things like their partner uses coercion and threats intimidation, emotional abuse, minimizing, denying, or blaming them. Um, Economic abuse is a big one as well. So withholding money or holding it over their heads, using the children. But honestly, one of my biggest red flags is isolation. Right. If a client comes into me and says, oh, my, my partner doesn't know I'm here. They don't want me coming into counseling. You know what? They don't even actually really want me to have friends or see my family. (laughs) there's a big neon sign for me right there um this kind of abuse thrives in isolation because if people are around to point out these things it's a lot harder for the abuser to to do them wow and often unfortunately folks that aren't trained will, will try to point these things out to the victim and then the victim if they're not ready to hear it cuts them out themselves or the abuser tells them they have to cut them out so like oh they're trash talking our relationship we don't need them around it's right. like, no, like actually, the they were trying to point out some red flags to you, and you weren't ready to hear it. And obviously, your abusive partner didn't want them to stop you. Right. So, so I feel like there'd be an element of prayer. Like, I just pray that they will get something to just trigger, <laughs> you know? And I mean, for me, it's all I can go on because I'm not a therapist. You obviously are well-trained that you know that you can sort of plant little tiny seeds that hopefully over time will germinate and grow. And then they realize what you're saying. That's exactly what I call it, Tina, is I call it planting seeds. And I do that with all of my clients over a range of issues. And it's really interesting, the clients I've worked with for years, because I'll be like, ah, I planted that seed in session two, and here we are three years (laughs) later, and it's grown. (laughs) So let me ask you something, Megan. Obviously, there must be a process to what you do. I mean, obviously, you're listening to and counseling, but it's a a process, right? Like you have to baby step, I guess, and Mm -hmm. build credibility and trust, I guess, with the clients, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Do you ever find, does it ever happen where, where um, clients become dependent on you? That is definitely a, a potential risk. I work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen. So sometimes folks, when they start working with a therapist, they really enjoy working with them. Maybe I'm the first positive relationship they've ever had. Oftentimes that is true. Um, there can be a little bit of a, a projection stage or where they kind of look up to me or, or put me on a pedestal. So I work really, really hard to be human and admit my mistakes and be really clear that I don't know everything. Um, but that's, that's a really normal process of therapy. And it's also really important for them to watch me fall from that pedestal and mm -hmm. notice that I'm human okay. and that we're all human right. and that you know, they can make mistakes and I can make mistakes and that mm -hmm. our relationship will be okay through that. You know, my sister is a therapist and she has her own private practice in the um, in Burlington. And she, you know, um, she has always said it's it, relationships. And, and again, it, it, there has to be a degree of this in, in, in your relationships with your clients, but relationships are like a bank account, right? You, mm -hmm. you put, you put, you put time and effort and you build up that love and that trust and that relationship. And so then when, when something happens to you make a withdrawal out of it. Right. Yeah. But over time there, there should be more deposits than there are withdrawals. Mm. And yes. so if you're always in a negative balance, there's something wrong with this relationship and it's either time to end it or figure out what's wrong with it. Right. So when you're in your relationships with your clients, I, I suspect there's a degree of that as well. It's not just you know, you've got to put money in, you've got to put some time and effort and mutual trust and respect. But again, by you showing them your, your, how real you are and that you're human, there is grace for that. Absolutely. And I mean, our, obviously my relationship is a little bit different with my clients because for sure I'm, I'm as human as I can be, but obviously they're, they can't really know everything about me. Right. Um, so it's a little bit different, but what's also happening is that I'm inviting them to build that relationship with themselves. Mm. They're learning to put that time and effort into themselves, build up that bank for them. And that's kind of more the, the self-care aspect. Um, but I think that's the most important part of my job isn't having them trust and find safety in me, but having them start to find that in themselves. Cause that's what they're going to be able to take out of the room with them. I unfortunately don't come portable sized. So I don't, so I have to help them build that foundation within themselves um, so that they don't always need me. That's, that's my job is to put myself out of business in that way is for them to not need me someday. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Megan, when, do you find when sometimes when people, it's not just fear of the partner, but it's also the fear of the unknown. Absolutely. That is a huge fear. Cause again, for a lot of my clients, this, this is all they've ever known, yeah. whether it was this relationship or previous relationships, like this is what, this is what love looks like for them. Mm -hmm. They don't know that there's something else often. Um, so that fear of the unknown is definitely a big piece. And that's, that's part of the safety planning as well that I do is like, you know, how are we going to get you out? Where are you going to stay? How are you going to pick up the kids up from school? Make sure you have a bag packed. Um, are you financially stable? But also like starting to look ahead at those next steps so that it isn't so much the unknown. It's it's still going to be scary and uncomfortable. But we have a little bit of a plan which will help them from kind of sliding back. But one point I do want to make, on average, it's seven times to leave, like seven tries to successfully leave. Seven, seven times? Yeah. Wow. 
And, and, and that, each each time is an increased risk of of violence and even um, so. And that's in an abusive relationship. When yes, we are, we are specifically addressing whether it be physical or emotional. Yep. Why do you think it takes so much time? Like, why does it take seven times? Well, often they're like so. Part of it can be folks will start to see something, but then the denial will come in, so they'll kind of retreat back. Mm. Or they get more of that love bombing, I promise I'll change, blah, 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 blah. Or there's other barriers, like they're threatening to, to keep the kids or, or even pets. They may not have the financial stability to successfully leave. They may not have anywhere to go. So there's, there's a lot of barriers, whether they're psychological or kind of logistical. But yeah, it can often take quite some time to, to successfully leave. Does the other partner, is it common for the other partner to threaten harm themselves yes that is very common um okay that's a guilt thing right like yeah okay wow you know we we have a a mutual client who there was definitely a power imbalance in their relationship and i think um going through from what i've spoken with her and a little bit with the lawyer and stuff that that power imbalance she's finally realizing now with some help Mm -hmm. that it's it's there was a power imbalance and maybe she has a little more power now than she thought or was led to believe all for all these years. Building the self-esteem for sure. So really when you say that it speaks to that. And I think she didn't, I don't think she really believed she she needed therapy and now she is seeing uh, someone. And I just think, wow, that, and that's sort of helping her to see and, and empowering her. Um, I don't believe it was an, a, a physical abusive, but you know, it's, mm. it's interesting to hear your perspective, but to see it, to be able to pick it out in some of our clients as well. Mm-hmm. I know and, my mom, my mom that was, uh, she only was educated to age, uh, grade six and she, uh, left home at like 15 years old, wow. right. And went out on her own into Montreal. She went from a little town in Northern Quebec to, to Montreal. So she didn't have a lot of education, but she had a lot of life streets, street smarts. Okay. And I never forget this. My mom said to me one time when I was young and I, I was, I was dating a girl and, and I was, I was very young. And so it broke up and I was, I was really bothered by it. I was like, cause you, you invest emotionally when you yes. have no filters at yeah. that age. Yeah. So I was, I was expressing it to my mom and she said something that's lasted with me to this day. She said, if you're never enough of a person on your own, you'll never be enough of a person with another person with you. Hmm. And and she's she said so you either you have to be confident in yourself first wow. because someone else will not complete who you are. Wow. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. But the older I got, I was like, man, this came from like a farm girl, you yeah. know. So, anyways, it's just my yeah. little two cents. But that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point, Darren. I like to call that a truth bomb when I'm with my clients. A truth bomb. We got a lot of bombs. bombs. Love bombs. bombs. (laughs) Staff bombs. (laughs) Those are good too. Yep. Yep. Um, It's it's a really great and important point, Darren. And and you're actually pointing to part of the issue is is often victims don't feel complete on their own. Mm. Um, They they feel like something's missing and they really hope that this other person will give it to them. And they they don't feel worthy or like they're enough. So that's part of my work as well is to build that. I love that you were using the word empowerment because that's such a good word for it. Um, but really build that that agency and invite them to notice all the strengths that they already have. And those are parts of the um, process that will help them to leave. 
and know that they are better and deserve better. Now we do deal quite a bit, like we focus on divorce on this podcast. However, you know, there's been things going on in environments that have impacted people's mental health with, Mm -hmm. um, I'll just say it, COVID, right? I mean, I hate using it now because it's like you can't turn the radio on or something without hearing about it. However, have you seen a big in, in uptick in in your business or um you know like has it has has there been an explosion of of need out there absolutely so kind of the average client load for a therapist is 10 to 15 clients a week i have 23 this week wow wow yeah so i'm full my my clinician chuck is full shannon's working her way up there but there's definitely been an increase in need and, and quite a few people have specifically identified that it's um, COVID related anxiety or stressors. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, you know, just to speak to that, cause I think COVID or not, we all have moments of stress in our lives. What are some techniques that you might give someone to help them identify that it's stress? Right. I know for myself, you know, I've, you know, used to explode at people, right. I don't do that so much anymore because I've figured out a few techniques, but like I would explode at my family. And then I would realize it had nothing to do with them. It wasn't the fact that they left a cup on the counter. It's not them. You know, it was stress, mm-hmm. anxiety. Mm-hmm. What are some techniques that you would give people to a recognize it and be deal with it to, to manage it? Yeah. So everyone has different patterns and I love that you already know your pattern to, you know, like, you know, stress builds up, there's a bit of an explosion and, you know, and it's nothing to do with the people. Well, no, that like, honestly, that is the first step is being aware of what your pattern is. Mm-hmm. Totally. So kind of the first, how do you become aware of a pattern? How do you become aware of something you can't see? That's where we kind of start with that, that mindfulness aspect is being aware, noticing the patterns, step, being able to step back and see like, oh, this is happening. And, and often the people in our lives can be great for that because they can tell us like, hey, yesterday you kind of exploded at me. Didn't really seem like it was about me. What was going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also there to help point out patterns too. You know, what's funny is that a few weeks ago, something, I can't even remember what happened, but in the house and something happened. Oh, something, my, my middle son and I got into a bit of a heated argument over food. It just irritated me that he wanted to complain about the way we season our food and yet we'll gobble it down and go, that was good. So I was irritated with that. And so then the, the youngest comes in and starts talking to me. He wasn't even in the house at the time and starts asking some questions or wanting something. And I literally just, and I was mean. And I went in later to, you know, kiss him goodnight. And I apologize because I realized that I did not need to, I was aggravated and he just happened to push or I was I didn't even tell him I was aggravated he just pushed my buttons because it was a topic with him that is also recurring and he said well Curtis kind of told me about how you two got into it over food and so I figured it really wasn't about me that it was about that that's big and he's 16 that's big and I was like insightful (laughs) thank you Evan you are right it was it was you and you know what I'm like good for you to call me on that and it wasn't he didn't call me in a in a you know in a bad way he just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that he realized it, but thankfully his brother had told him what had happened. And then he was like, well, I know it wasn't about me then it was really about you and Curtis, you know, Megan, so. is there any, is there that, sorry, that you're right. That's so true. Like you've got awesome kids, by the way, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> uh, and it's parenting and it's them themselves, yeah. but yeah. you know, you guys Thank have done you. a great job. 
Um, Megan, I have a quick question. Is, is there any, so I know we all have our own insecurities, right? And For when sure. we feel threatened or we're in a position where we're stressed, yeah. is there something that people can do to help them not necessarily cope, but what would you suggest if somebody's feeling stressed in the moment, what would you yeah. tell them to do to kind of break that cycle mm-hmm. or get, get out of that mindset? Yeah. So my three, my top three in the moment things, Sorry. number one is breath. Some people think just taking a deep breath is enough, but I want people to kind of count the breaths or something like that. Don't worry. I'm not going to guys be with me today. Don't worry. Um, so <laughs> number one is breath. Number two is some sort of movement, whether you just move around the room or the house for a bit, or you go outside of nature and move your body, but that can help kind of get those um, stress hormones to, to get out of your body. And the third one is something called legs up the wall. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. Your legs are up the wall, your back is along the floor, you make a little L shape. Mm. Um, I've had clients use that to stop panic attacks. Like it is- Oh, that's good amazing for just bringing your nervous system right down why there's a physiological reason there is i am not going to pretend i understand the science enough to (laughs) to explain it right now but off the top of my head one when we're lying down we more naturally breathe into our stomach and that brings the air from the bottom up like into the bottom of our lungs it's also uh activates the ventral vagal tone which increases our, our kind of safety Section. I'm like butchering this. If anyone knows about polyvagal theory, they're just gonna cringe when they hear me talk about this. Um, but it's just I, I don't even know how to explain it, and I, I hate calling it magic because that makes it sound silly. But it it really is. And if I have a client that comes in and they're already at a hundred with their stress level, I kind of invite them into legs up the wall with me, and in mm. three or four breaths, they're all the way back down, and we can wow. actually. Have that just relaxed me right there. I'm like, mm-hmm. seriously, just thinking about doing that. Mm-hmm. I thought I want to go do it. But I, no, 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 no. <laughs> if we were in person, Tina, I would have had everyone upside down. <laughs> I think that's great because I mean, you know, I know, I know many people and, and I don't discount this, but many people use physical, like, like uh, physical fitness mm-hmm. to take care of stress. Like mm-hmm. I run every morning I run. Right. And that to me is I have to, I almost in my mind, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like running. You know, but then I'll say to myself, just walk. Yeah. And it's only going to be five minutes, but sure enough, it ends up being 45 minutes and I'm full out just running. Right. But that to me is that's, that's a way for me to let off the steam. Well, it's out endorphins or yeah. increases your, I don't know, something like that. Like yeah, I always sure. know I feel better <laughs> after having had a walk. Yeah. You know, I don't like exercise. <laughs> One other thing I do, and I don't like, I, I don't know if there's a clinical term for this. However, um, Whenever I feel my anxiety getting up and I start to feel like uh, I'm going to let out like something on someone else, Mm -hmm. I try to coach myself to count to 10 or 20 and think of what it is I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will call me on it. They'll they'll, like my my wife will look at me and say, why are you pausing? Like, because she'll say something and she expects me to fill the void with something else mm. and I'll sit and I'll wait and I'll look at her and she's like are you having a like a, uh, an attack a or something, or something. A <laughs> and I'm like nope I'm just thinking about because I'm trying to analyze is this what I really want to say to her at this moment right. and I've caught myself so many times where I'm like don't say that oh my god what are you crazy <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a clinical thing or something but that's just something I do because mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of like put a buffer between mm-hmm. my anxiety or, or whatever it is I'm thinking about mm-hmm. and what I'm about to do. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. 
Yeah, no, that's a great strategy, Darren. It's um, It sounds like you're still in what I would kind of call the yellow zone in terms of where your stress is at. Because once we're, we kind of hit the red, we actually don't have access to our rational mind anymore. We right. can't, it's right. not a conscious decision anymore. So that's a great strategy for when we're still kind of in the in the yellow zone. We can pause and think and, and breathe. When we've kind of hit that point of no return, that you, you can't think your way out of that point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Well, Megan, we are coming to the end of our show. So you have to have another one with her. Yeah, we I think there's lots of things we could talk about because it's an endless supply of well you, like you say you have 23 some odd clients or whatever and and so obviously there's endless need and endless situations and no situation is the same so we would love to have you back on the show you are a new member uh your your Kempful stress relief center is a is also a member of DivorceNet. And so we welcome people to reach out to you through our website at divorcenet.ca Thank you so much. You have so much insight. And if this is a video, you'll know that Megan is not very old, but she has still a wealth of experience. And so, you know, you're a young CEO. Congratulations on that. And keep keep working hard and providing that valuable experience to your clients and any of our clients. Well said. And you are taking clients now, right? You're not full up. You are taking clients oh yeah we're, we're definitely help. still taking clients good um, to hear good to hear because i know there's some need out there for mm-hmm. sure okay so we'll wrap it up and and obviously you n- mentioned the the clinic itself so people yep. can reach out to the clinic or they can go through divorce net yeah uh, but the help is there and you're there your your all your team is there to help people so there there is people out there yeah so i'm gonna wrap it up with saying uh get organized folks take care of yourselves and we'll see you on the other side of the mic You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. Divorcenet.ca, clear and simple divorce advice from trusted local professionals.